0: Election officials in Arizona are attempting to expand the range of language options available when selecting a voting ballot. Besides English and Spanish, they also want to include Native American languages, Alaskan native languages, and whatever Joe Biden is speaking. With the State of the Union speech set for March 1st, Nancy Pelosi has announced that masks will no longer be required in the House of Representatives starting February 28th. Upon hearing that this meant Nancy Pelosi would be appearing on live television during the hour and a half speech with her whole face showing the entire time, Americans immediately began begging her to reinstate the mask mandate. President Biden has selected a new Supreme Court nominee, Ketanji Brown Jackson, filling the seat recently vacated by Stephen Breyer. Biden said he selected Jackson because of her race, her gender, and because she is the most qualified candidate for the position. He did not make that comment while in a press conference, but while playing a game of two truths and a lie. A CBS reporter was forced to apologize for referring to Ukraine as more civilized than Iraq or Afghanistan, saying it's more shocking to see two European nations attack each other compared to wars in the past between nations that are always in one conflict or another. Viewers were enraged to hear statements that they believed to be racist, hurtful, and 100% true, as they are not comfortable with that level of honesty from a mainstream media source. The fact-checkers at CBS were also immediately upset that he had accidentally said a true statement while on air, forcing him to apologize. Factual statements are supposed to stay behind the scenes at CBS where nobody can hear them, except for undercover Project Veritas reporters. And while World War III is potentially in its infancy, and America's leadership on the world stage has never been more important, Joe Biden went on vacation. That last one, sadly, is actually not fake news. This is Luke Taylor, and welcome to a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. Welcome to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast where we dismantle the media misinformation that floods our news feeds all week long. The media tries to mislead you literally every day. Each episode of this podcast will leave you more equipped to correctly interpret the news and spot their deception quicker than before. This is Luke Taylor, an austere religious scholar who will be your host in this roundup of the past week of Fake News. We're really looking at the past two weeks of Fake News. I could not do a program last week because I had some computer issues, and uh, it, it, I won't get into the whole story here, but basically, um, I, I as I put on Twitter, you know, of all the weeks to have computer problems, at least it happened during such a slow news week. Uh, you know, the, the, I really hated to not be able to jump on here and talk about all the stuff going on with Russia and Ukraine and how the news is covering it. That's what we're going to do today, and I'm glad, actually, I've had a little bit of time to kind of reflect on the whole situation. I've had some time to look at the way the media is reporting it, because there's a lot to talk about there. Um, I want to talk about all the propaganda that's floating around right now. And propaganda, um, you know, not when I say propaganda, I don't mean that in the in such a negative sense as how most people think when they hear the word propaganda. I think most people misunderstand what propaganda is. Many people think it's just misinformation that's meant to deceive the public. That's not technically correct. Um, in college, we learned what propaganda means. I have a degree in mass communication. I wanted to be a journalist, and I was for a short time. Um, so I have I have a degree uh, in mass communication, and it doesn't always benefit me like directly in my day-to-day life, but it at least did equip me to judge information in an objective way. So when I see something in the news, I've gotten pretty good at detecting whether there's an actual factual basis for this or whether this is just propaganda meant to mislead the public. Um, So most people don't understand what propaganda actually is. Let me share with you today what propaganda is. According to the Encyclopedia Britannica, propaganda is the dissemination of information, facts, arguments, rumors, half-truths, or lies to influence public opinion. So when you call something propaganda, you're not necessarily referring to the truthfulness of the content. Um, Although propaganda, generally, it's going to be misleading because its purpose is not to inform you, its purpose is to persuade you of something. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that it is going to be untrue. There can be stuff that's totally true, but the manner in which it's communicated is in a manner as such that it's actually propaganda. It's not meant to, it's not meant to convince you of the truthfulness of it, it's meant to persuade you. That distinction is actually a little bit important, because it can be used for good or evil. I would say propaganda just means it's something as trustworthy as listening to a salesman. Okay. Yeah, some salesmen are liars. Uh, Most of them probably bend the truth, but not all of them. Salesmen are only going to give one side of a story. Some salesmen are actually very honest, uh, but the ones who bend the truth a little bit are probably going to be more successful. And that's kind of how propaganda is. The more propaganda is willing to be flexible with the truth, the more successful it's probably going to be. So on this podcast, when you hear me talk about propaganda, whenever I say something like, oh, that's just a propaganda word, I'm not always commenting right there on the truthfulness of a statement. I'm usually referring more to the style of the argument, okay? From that encyclopedia article I mentioned, here is the style of propaganda so that you can recognize whenever someone's doing it. It says, propaganda is more or less systematic effort to manipulate other people's beliefs, attitudes, or actions by means of symbols such as words, gestures, banners, monuments, music, clothing, insignia, hairstyles, designs on coins, postage stamps, and so so forth. So what what kind of ties all that together, what characterizes propaganda is whenever you use powerful images or symbols or words. But basically symbols, I think. Not just like generic words whenever I say words. I'm not just talking about generic words that people use. I'm talking about very powerful and persuasive words. Okay, propaganda is using powerful symbols, which could be words or images or icons, but propaganda is using powerful symbols in a way to persuade people of something. Another characteristic of propaganda is repetition. That is where it really becomes a form of brainwashing, It's whenever you repeat the same thing over and over again until your subject just doesn't question it anymore. And this is where the mainstream media comes in. Um, You know, if if you turn on to MSNBC and they're saying one thing and then CNN and they're saying the same thing and then ABC and they're saying the same thing and then CBS and they're saying the same thing and you just keep doing that. Everybody's going to believe that that thing is true. And conservative media does that a lot. You know, to be honest, to be fair, conservative media will often find a buzzword or some kind of phrase that's really sticky, really popular, and they'll start using it all over the place. And that's how they get the people in their conservative media bubble to believe something. That's how liberal media, which has a much bigger bubble, but it is still a bubble. And that's how they get all of their viewers to believe something, too. They all start using the same phrases, repeating it again and again. That is propaganda. OK, here's an example of how this is used, um, like in liberal media. When Joe Biden started to get accused of sexual harassment back during this was like during the presidential election election campaign season. Women started coming forward and they were talking about how Joe Biden has a problem that he won't keep his hands off of them. And the media started interviewing a lot of people uh, to talk about this. And And they all said the same thing. It was the same line. They said, Joe Biden is just affectionate. That was the word they kept using. Listen to this supercut. This is a supercut of media figures and politicians. And they're all just talking about how affectionate Joe Biden is. There's a lot of things I know about Joe Biden. I've known him for a long time. He is extremely affectionate. He's very affectionate. I find oddly affectionate. He kisses <laughs> people on the mouth. He shouldn't, he's always touching people's shoulders. I've seen him rub the shoulders of women and men. Joe Biden calls them expressions. Of affection. He is an affectionate old-school politician.
1: Uncle Joe, as we affectionately call him. He's a very affectionate, very likable person. So it's not surprising that he that he behaves in this way, that he's quite affectionate. You know, he's just an affectionate guy.
0: I've known Joe Biden a long time, as have many others, and have always found him a very emotional man who is very, very affectionate. You know, everyone in Washington knows that he is a guy who is very affectionate. He's touchy-feely. He's been doing it his entire life in, a, in an affectionate way. He's a very affectionate person. He suffers from uh, being uh, overtly affectionate. To
1: say that, you know, Biden should change the way he is or that he needs to be less affectionate, I think is a problem. That's part of who he is. I think
0: the next time I see Joe Biden, if he doesn't hug me and give me a kiss and hold my hand, that's not the Joe Biden I knew. He's a nice guy. He's not a predator, and this is ridiculous. Let me just say it: this is ridiculous. So when they all come out using the same phrase, um, that is planned. <laughs> you know that is that is something where people behind the scenes are planning this stuff out and saying this is the word we're going to use. That is a form of brainwashing. It's not a coincidence they were all using the same word. It's a very deliberate thing. You see this a lot in the media, like just for a weekend. It's like they'll all get the talking points memo. This is how to describe this or that event. And they all use the same words to describe it. When Hillary Clinton collapsed into a van. At first, you know, the media tried to deny that it was even true that she collapsed into a van. This was also this was during her election campaign season back in 2016. At first, the media tried to say, oh, that's not even true. And then video footage actually came out that confirmed that it was true. They showed her collapsing into a van. so then the media all ran with this story of how Hillary got sick and then went to this memorial service anyway, and she decided to power through her sickness. That is the phrase that every media outlet used for like that for a few days for that weekend, that she powered through, power through, power through. They just kept saying that Hillary Clinton was sick, yeah, but she was going to power through. And they took this thing of where she was so frail and denying it for so long how frail she was and sick she was that she literally collapsed into a van, and the media tried to pretty successfully I would say spin that into how oh no she wasn't weak she was strong she was powering through well that's propaganda right there that is how propaganda works Um, when Trump was being investigated time and time again the media would just keep using this phrase to make it sound like Trump was just on the verge of getting arrested do you remember what they would say they would say the walls are closing in the walls are closing in they just kept repeating that phrase every day the walls are closing in. The walls are closing in on Trump. And if you talk to anyone who was just a Donald Trump hater at that time, they were they were always convinced he was just about to get arrested. He was just on the verge of going to jail. You know, he's about to be impeached, kicked out of office, put in an orange jumpsuit, thrown in prison. They were re- they really believed this. Like people really, and to this day, they still. Believe it. He's I think I don't think anyone's been investigated more than Donald Trump in American history. And yet they've never found anything illegal that he did. Amazingly. Um, I mean, how can someone get investigated that much and you not find something that they did that was illegal? But they never actually have with Trump. And um, it's amazing. But yet, if you talk to people who are Trump haters, they are still convinced to this day. Oh, you know, just around the corner, they're going to catch him. You know, he's going to go to jail for something. But ask yourself, has Trump ever gone to jail? Have the walls ever actually closed in on him, despite all the times the media said it? No, that was all just propaganda to make you think he was this criminal who was just always about to get caught. So and it's a you know, it's a visual thing, Um, even just in your mind. The walls are closing in. You can see that in your mind whenever someone says that. That's what makes it such a powerful symbol. Um, So propaganda is using powerful symbols in the form of images or words, and you just do it in this repetitive way, whenever you see that, that's how you know you're dealing with propaganda. Again, doesn't speak to the truthfulness of what's being said. But it is a form of persuasion that's not rooted in in truth, it's rooted in trying to persuade you of something. Um, it's, it's, it's It's a specific type of communication that's just very loose and flexible when it comes to the truth. (laughs) And I'll say this, I'm not necessarily against propaganda, especially like in a war setting. I'm just teaching you today how to recognize it. But it can be very useful, especially in a wartime situation, which we're going to morph into talking to in a few minutes. But to look back in time, uh, the German army was using propaganda in World War. I think it was World War II, maybe World War One. They were dropping leaflets on the, the allied forces, on their soldiers, dropping leaflets from planes. Or they would know that like the armies are, are marching toward this spot. So they'd leave all this propaganda at that spot. And it would be leaflets that would say stuff like, remember her last kiss? Gee, were you happy then? Together you spent marvelous times lounging on beaches, dancing, enjoying parties galore, listening to the tunes of your favorite band. And then you turn over the leaflet and it would say, uh, it would tell the soldier how their, his loved one was longing for him. And, and that most of the men who came over here to fight, most of them are now dead. You know, all that stuff was propaganda that the German army would leave and drop on the allied forces to try to demoralize them, to try to scare them. It's a powerful thing. OK, I mean, this is the kind of stuff that can change the tide of a war is the morale of the troops. If everyone's feeling down and feeling like this is useless and I'm going to die and what am I even fighting for? Is, is all this sacrifice worth it? You know, when morale is down, that type of army is a lot easier to defeat than one who's all hyped up, you know, and, and ready to go into ready to go into battle and feels like you're fighting for a good cause. That army is going to be a lot more successful. The Allied forces also use propaganda. OK, um, there's one Allied leaflet that they dropped on the Germans and it was it was just a picture of a large open field. And across that field were thousands of German graves. Okay, just they would just drop a leaflet with that image on it. So that's that's propaganda. All right. They did that for morale reasons to demoralize the enemy. You use propaganda to to hype up your own troops. Okay, so I'm not always against propaganda, especially in a war setting. If I'm fighting a war against Germany, I'm going to do whatever I can to demoralize them. (laughs) You know, even if I'm using lies, I'm not going to even say that's unethical um, because whenever you're at war with an enemy, you, you try to deceive them in all kinds of ways. Uh, So as we as we were talking about in episode 19 of this show, the government went on a huge uh, early on in covid. They went on a big anti-masking propaganda blitz. Every news outlet was just talking about how masks don't do anything. They're worthless. They're useless. They don't stop the spread of the virus. And then a month later, they went on a pro-masking propaganda blitz, said that everybody needs to wear a mask and that this will save lives. They turned it like in a month's time they totally flopped their narrative to say the opposite of what they were saying before. And then they said they only went on the anti-masking propaganda blitz because they were just trying to make sure that healthcare workers didn't run out of masks. So they said, you know, we had to do that because we were trying to to prevent the healthcare workers from running out of masks. They needed it the most. And now that there's enough masks, now everybody needs to wear one. Okay? Now I'm just gonna say something about that. Regardless of which side of the masking debate you're on, okay, maybe you're listening and you have a mask on right now. And, you know, regardless of what side of the of the debate you're on, you have to admit they lied at least one of those times. Okay, one of those months was just propaganda. So even if you agreed with the masking and if you agreed, even if you said, oh, yeah, they lied to us, but they lied for a good reason. You still got to admit they lied. That's what propaganda is. And governments engage in propaganda all the time. When they have something big that they want to convince the public about, you know, we need to understand we we just can't trust anything that the media or government tells us about really big things going on that they have a stake in. All right. Especially when we look at situations like what's going on with Russia and Ukraine. And you got to remember this as we look at the news right now. When they're talking about Russia and Ukraine, we are in the fog of war. Okay, the fog of war is—it's um, whenever you are just right in the freshness of the battles going on. Which literally, there are battles going on, and you—and all this. <laughs> just imagine you're in the battle. Okay, you're on the battlefield. You're shooting at the bad guys. You kind of just see what's immediately going on right around you. Okay, there's explosions going off. There's um, Everything's hazy at a distance. You don't know exactly where the enemy is. You don't know how many of them are left. You don't know how far into this fight you are. You don't know how close you are to the front line. You don't know how many of the enemy are left. You don't know how many of your guys are left. You are in kind of a haze. There's a lot of confusion. You're just trying to kind of look around for something you can grasp onto. You're looking around for someone who can tell you what's going on. That is where we are right now in the Russia and Ukraine situation, all right? Every day, as the news is reporting the news that's going on that day, there is going to be a lot of half-truths or misunderstood things because we are in this haze. We are in this fog of war. And everything. we are so hyped up and so emotional right now that we can't process everything going on around us, all right? Th- that's what the fog of war means. It means you don't understand a situation objectively until some time has passed, And so anything that you hear, just always remember this when we're talking about a wartime event. Anything that you hear in the first, I would say, 24 to 72 hours of a wartime event, it's almost always going to be incorrect. Anything you hear in the first 24 to 72 hours of a wartime event is almost certainly going to be incorrect. Okay? So how is the government or media... Going to communicate information about this Russian invasion? The answer to that question is going to depend on what the government decides that its narrative should be. Okay? So, when you first hear information about something that's going on, what the government and what the media is going to tell you, that is going to be filtered through not what is the truth, what do you need to know. It's not filtered through that. It's filtered through what does the government. What, is they, what have they decided that their narrative should be? And they are only going to tell you information that is going to aid that narrative of what they want you to believe. When it comes to what they want you to believe about Ukraine, I'm not 100% sure what they want us to believe right now. So I'm really skeptical of any information out there. But I'm just going to tell you, when it comes to wartime reporting, it's all going to be propaganda. What's coming out of the government, just disregard it. By the way... I would say that no matter who was president, that's not a slam on the Biden administration. That's not a slam on anyone in the military right now. I'm just telling you this is how it is when it comes to military reporting, which we don't have a lot of experience with because we haven't had any major wartime events, you know, in most of our lifetimes until now, until now that we're actually seeing this major, I guess you'd call Russia a first world country. It's a world superpower. Seeing them go to war against a sovereign nation. Two countries that are both, you know, pretty civilized as far as nations go, seeing them go to fighting against each other. I'm not gonna apologize for saying that, by the way, like the CBS reporter who did. This is this is new for us, okay? This is we're living through something that we have not really most of us have not lived through before, unless you're very, very old. No offense. But you probably don't remember anything like this in your lifetime, okay? And our country's not even involved, but There is going to be some kind of narrative from our government, from our politicians, that's going to settle in. Joe Biden might announce what that narrative is going to be tonight. He's doing the State of the Union address. Whatever that narrative is, it's going to influence the way that the government reports on this stuff. And therefore, since we have a left-wing media who's going to parrot whatever the Democrats say, that will influence the way the media talks about it. All I'm saying is be very skeptical of these things, especially initial events that happen. When they say, oh, this city got bombed. This city's decimated. And then a few days later, it turns out that city didn't really get decimated. A a couple buildings got knocked down. No one died. You know, stuff like that's going to happen. Okay, that's called the fog of war. So don't believe anything until a little bit of time has passed. To just repeat what I said before, you will not understand a situation objectively until some time has passed. So anything you hear in the first 24 to 72 hours of a wartime event it's almost certainly going to be incorrect. Whether they are intentionally lying or not, it's going to be incorrect. So we've been watching this stuff with Russia going on for like a week now. And I think the Western position on this is to stay out of the fight, but that the, the public is also, um, or the, the governments, I would say, they're drumming up a lot of public support for Ukraine. Okay, I've been seeing a lot of news stories and social media posts that are geared toward generating emotional sympathy for Ukraine. And I, I'm, hey, I believe that Ukraine is indeed the victim here. So I'm, I'm OK with that. But I want to explain a few specific ways that this has actually turned into a propaganda scenario. We're seeing a lot of propaganda to make us feel s- sympathy for Ukraine. Once again, just so nobody misunderstands me, I'm OK with that because I believe Ukraine is the victim. But a lot of the reporting is not objective in the way that they're talking about Ukraine. A lot of it is propaganda. So let's go through some of the some of the stories that I'm seeing. And you've probably seen some of these, too. Um, First of all, let me just say, anytime you hear death reports of like this many people died or whatever, uh, if if it's like in the thousands, it's probably not true. There's been reports already out that like 3000 Russian troops are already dead. Now, I don't I don't think there's any way to know how many Russian troops are dead just yet, but I really don't think it's three thousand. That seems just way too high to me. I don't think it's even one thousand, but I don't know how many have died. I just think that number is not going to be available yet. I mean, either Ukraine or Russia is going to report that. I don't think Russia is interested in reporting how many people are that they're losing right now. Okay. so anytime you see something about this many people are dead already, I would say don't believe that. OK, just again, we are not going to know until some time passes. And they I don't think they are even capable of counting a precise number of dead people yet. So don't listen if you see 3,000 Russian troops dead or th- however many thousand Ukrainians, Ukrainians have died. I wouldn't believe that yet. Another report that I've seen a lot, people saying, oh, Putin is getting frustrated. This invasion is taking so much longer than he anticipated. When I see that, I... How do they know what Putin is thinking? Like, how can they see into his mind? You know, that the, the, you keep seeing these reports that Putin is getting frustrated. Um, that that is that's honestly that's just fake news. Now, here's why I think we're seeing that because the public is trying to boost the morale of the Ukrainians. You know, the public is trying to say, hey, you guys are winning this. Uh, I mean, we already see this being kind of reported. Um, and I hope Ukraine does win it. OK, I honestly hope that they do. But you see a lot of news reports talking about how Vladimir Putin is getting frustrated and angry because he's not as successful at this as he wants to be. And I kind of look at it and I'm like we're only a week into this thing. I mean, this is these are fights that could go on for months. You know, that I don't think Putin's just thrown everything that he can possibly throw in his first week. I'm sure he has lots of plans. This first week might have been testing testing the waters to see how much the Ukrainians are going to fight back. And so he's deciding how many troops he even needs to send in. So I would would just say I'm skeptical of any reports that seem to be telling us what Putin is thinking. He's not going on TV and telling us (laughs) what he's thinking, okay, day to day. Um, And he's not going out and saying publicly that he's frustrated. And I would be skeptical that there's anyone in his offices who are leaking that kind of information to the press. So be skeptical of that type of thing. Um, Hey, a lot of people said Kiev was going to fall. That's the capital of Ukraine. They said it would fall in 96 hours. The first night, it looked like it might fall that first night. And then they have done an amazing job of holding that place. It's been over 96 hours now. Uh, We're like on day five of the siege of Kiev, and they're still going strong. So maybe Putin is frustrated. But, you know, we just don't we don't know that he could have already thought the whole time that taking Kiev was going to be like a month long process. We just don't know. I'm sure he has lots and lots of more troops and tanks and all kinds of stuff to roll in that he hasn't even got there yet. So let's just hold off before we get too celebratory and say, oh, Russia's already lost this fight. I would would hold off on celebrating too early, okay? But I I recognize a lot of those reports, they're based around an intent to boost the morale of the Ukrainians and generate public support for Ukraine and say, hey, they've got this. They're going to win this thing. I understand. So I'm not saying it's bad that they're doing this propaganda necessarily. I just hope we can recognize it. That's why you're listening to this. So we recognize the propaganda. There's a story that's already came out about an ace fighter pilot, a Ukrainian fighter who, uh, you know, in his in his jet, um, in his in his plane. I'm not, I'm not sure what you call it. His fighter. his He's a fighter pilot. And that he took down five or six Russian planes and then. He was shot down and died and that they were calling him the ghost of Kiev. That all turned out to just be fake. That was just all fake news. <laughs> so you kind of heard these urban legend things already popping up. So if you hear about the ghost of Kiev, that was just a that was a story meant to. Hey, meant to. Um, oh, what's the word? It was just meant to embellish the bravery of the Ukrainian soldiers. So I get it. Um, I think they are brave soldiers. think they're doing a great job. But that was just one of those stories that kind of comes out around wartime. And after a few days, that turned out that was not even true. Uh, there was a story early on that a bunch of Russian troops, when they first walked into Ukraine, that they immediately laid down their guns and surrendered to the Ukrainians and said, hey, we, we didn't realize Putin was going to tell us to fire upon Ukrainians. And we're, we refuse to do that. We're going to join Ukraine. I'm going to tell you that's probably not true. OK, that's meant to demoralize. That story is going around probably to demoralize the Russians. Um, it's probably not true, though. There's this story going around that Miss Ukraine is soldiering up and getting ready to go to battle. That whoever, some woman who won Miss Ukraine a few years back, that now she's putting on, a, a, you know, a, a bulletproof vest and getting a AR-15 and getting ready to go into battle. That's probably fake. She's, you know, it's probably just propaganda. She might be, I'm sure, you know, she's a real person. She might have really put that out there. It's probably not true. It's probably just propaganda. To you know, boost the morale. Um, there was this video. Now, here's okay. Here's uh, how. Here's how deceptive things can be when they're just shared on social media with no context. Okay. There was this video of a soldier going off to war, and it was um, a Ukrainian man, and he was kissing his family goodbye, and he's like putting them on a train, and it's really emotional. He's kissing his daughter. He's weeping really hard. His daughter's crying. His wife's standing strong beside him. And it's about how, like, he's going to stay and fight for the homeland, but he wants his family out of danger. So he's putting him on a train. I mean, it's, it's very dramatic. It's like a scene out of a movie. OK, and I just watched that video. And my heart was breaking. I don't you know, I, I almost cried just watching it. Well, you want to know what happened about a day later? It turns out that was not a Ukrainian soldier sending his family off. That was a, a Russian soldier. And he was getting ready to leave and go fight the Ukrainians. (laughs) And so it was actually he was, you know, as far as this conflict is concerned, he was he was one of the bad guys, (laughs) which puts just a little bit of a different spin on it. And so it wasn't exactly what it had originally been portrayed to be. And that's just the kind of stuff that's just that's what I call the fog of war. It's propaganda stuff floating around. So you just can't believe everything you see, especially just stuff on social media. Um, it could be a video of anything from anywhere and they just try to tell you one thing that it is and you got to be careful about that. You got to be careful. I mean, I would not be surprised that if they'd started doing um, like deep fake type of stuff and digital, digi, duh, digitally edited videos that looked very realistic but, you know, are just actually something made in a <laughs> on a computer somewhere. I wouldn't be surprised to see stuff like that come out too. Um, here's a major thing that's been going around uh, to, about the heroism of President Zelensky who had an opportunity to escape from Ukraine to be lifted out and instead he is I, I think quite bravely and showing a great example, he's staying in Ukraine and he's going to fight alongside his fellow Ukrainians for their country. So, I think that's you know that's great that he did that. Um, let me tell you a little bit about Zelensky. He, he's had a reputation in the past for <laughs> corruption because Ukraine is known for being a very corrupt country. Um, I won't get into all that. I just went into all that on my other podcast. I'm not I'm not trying to be anti-Ukraine, but I just want to point out something. This President Zelensky, he had a reputation for being a pretty corrupt politician. And the country that he presides over, Ukraine, it's w- considered the most corrupt country in Europe other than Russia, um, if you consider Russia a European country. So it it, but it has a reputation for being a pretty corrupt country. And so Zelensky is not the most reputable guy, and yet he has become probably the most popular leader of any country in the world for the past week. Because when faced with a choice to leave his country or to stay and fight, he did not take the easy route. He's staying and fighting. So I think for him, I'm not trying to be down about that. That to me, I think that's a redemptive tale. You know, it's that, well, he had all these issues <laughs> with his personal character before, but but now, you know, he's, he's being lifted up as like a, a hero because he decided to stay and fight. And he had this great quote where when they asked him if he wanted to leave, I think America sent some diplomats in or something or sent a message to him saying, do you want us to try to get you out? And he said, I don't need a ride. I need ammunition. You know, epic line right there. So I think it's great that he's staying there. Now, there is kind of this hero worship thing going on with him right now, which is understandable. But like there's pictures of him going around where he's wearing a bulletproof vest and wearing this camo gear and it looks cool. And women are just like talking about how hot he is. And I mean, there's, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff going on right now. That is it. Those pictures are actually not from any time recent. Those pictures are from like back in April of 2021 where he was doing a – a check on the border, and they ran a picture of him in the New York Times dressed up in that gear. Those photos have been making the rounds. They are not photos from the past week. <laughs> so we don't know what he looks like right now. He's in hiding. Um, so we can look at this as a very redemptive tale for President Zelensky. I would say it's more, more likely, it's more of a propaganda campaign to get the world to side with Ukraine, which again, I'm pro-Ukraine. I think they're the victims here, and I do support them but I think this is kind of a propaganda thing trying to get the world to side with him because that works out either way. If he lives through this, he's going to be a worldwide hero. And if he dies, he's going to go down as a, as a really powerful martyr figure. Okay. So, uh, cause there is a possibility that he could die if Russia takes Kyiv, and that's where he's hunkered down right now. So prayers for him. And I hope they can defend that city and turn Russia away. I mean, I really drew hope that'll happen. And, uh, But what's happening is you're seeing Zelensky turned into this really powerful figure so that if he does die, uh, it's going to have a huge effect against Russia because he's going to go down as a martyr. Um, But just so you know, the pictures going around about him, that they're not legitimate pictures. uh, So a lot of this stuff is exaggerated and fake and propaganda. Here's another big propaganda story. You've probably heard about Snake Island. It's the troops who are bravely standing against like there's a Russian ship coming and these troops were hunkered down on this island is called snake island and they said surrender and the troops were like they they said uh, like blank no or something like that and th- as the story was told russia bombed them out and killed every single one of them there were like 13 hunkered down over there well actually it turned out like three days later it turned out that Most of that story was true, but the the soldiers all survived. They were actually captured by Russia. They did not die. The Russians didn't kill them. So great story. Okay, it got embellished at the start that this was like a brave last stand type of thing that they went out in a blaze of glory that they told the Russian soldier. They told the Russian boat to like blink off and then they all got blown up. I mean, it sounded like they just went out in this blaze of glory because, again, this is all embellished. To make us feel (laughs) like pride for ukrainian nationalism you know pride for ukraine to stand strong through all this and it turned out that story was just a bit exaggerated okay still a soldier of still a story about brave soldiers okay still a good story not quite as dramatic as originally reported so a lot of the drama is just going to be overhyped because we are in the fog of war one more thing i'll mention russian some russian propaganda um putin said that he wants to decapitate Ukraine's government, okay? That, you probably saw a headline with the word decapitate in it as that's what Putin said he wanted to do. I want to decapitate Ukraine's government. When I saw that, I was like, wow, that is a really powerful word because you could have used some other words right there. You could have said overthrow. <laughs> you could have said take over. You could have said replace. Putin went for a really powerful word, that evoked, you know, a frightening image when ta- when he talked about what he wants to do to Ukraine. I mean, it's that is such a more powerful word than any other word he could have used. He wants to decapitate the Ukrainian government. I mean, that just saying that, it invokes fear. So when I saw that, I was like, wow, that right there is a propaganda word. OK, it's Russian propaganda. All right. It, I mean, it's, it's as far as his intentions go, it's true. He wants to take the politicians in Ukraine— and march them off to Russian labor camps or or execute them. Um, I'm not saying he literally wants to cut off all their heads, but, I mean, as far as the Ukrainian government goes, he wants to totally wipe it away and replace it with his own head, okay? His own people running, this, running the show over there in Ukraine. So he used what I think is about the most powerful, perfectly chosen word to evoke fear and really just, like, verbally threaten Ukraine right there, okay? But it is just a propaganda word. And of course the media, they were just so struck with it, the emotion of it, the media just repeat, repeated it all over the place. All the news companies repeated this this word re- that Putin's going to decapitate the Ukraine government. Now I know they're just doing their job. I mean it's a juicy story. I'm sure it gets a lot of clicks. I'm just pointing out, but that is what propaganda is. That's pro-Russia propaganda. It's meant to incite fear of the Russian army. okay? So that's how propaganda works. Don't take anything so literally. Don't trust the dramatic emotional stories. A lot of that is going to be exaggerated or not true. It's propaganda, all right? And we're in the fog of war. And you got to just kind of keep your head on straight through all this. So let's answer a few questions about the situation before we close up shop for today. Is this World War III? That's what a lot of people are worried about. Is this World War III? Well, here's a few ways this could turn into World War III. One is if NATO gets involved. Um, NATO And I won't go into what all NATO is, but I mean, if NATO gets involved, then Russia would be against a bunch of different countries then. And Russia would probably be overpowered. They do have a powerful military, but I don't think they want to go to war with all of NATO. Now, what could turn the tide of that is if China, if that were to happen, if, if Russia is against all the NATO countries and Ukraine, what if China then backed Russia? Well, <laughs> then we do have a World War III situation where two of the most powerful militaries in the world which would be china and russia would be going up against you know a lot of smaller countries with less powerful militaries including america which might have a less powerful military by this point so then we do have a world war three situation and here's another question that a lot of people are asking why right now why is all this happening right now i want to review a few different reasons for that one of those is nato NATO is this alliance of a bunch of nations, mostly in Europe. America's part of it. Canada's part of it. Um, It basically says, if you attack one of us, we all go to war against you. So we're an an alliance of nations. And Ukraine was about to be invited into this NATO alliance. Well, Putin couldn't have that because if if Ukraine joins NATO, Russia will never be able to get Ukraine back because he doesn't want to go to war against all the NATO countries. So... Um, it was now or never for him. He has to go ahead and make a push. Uh, That's part of why he's doing this now. And there's some other reasons. I I get into this in my other podcast. It's called Cross References, if you want to listen to that one. I go into a lot. It does talk about Bible prophecy. I don't know if you want a Bible prophecy lesson along with it, but I go into all the other reasons that um, Putin is trying to take Ukraine right now. So those are some of the reasons. And then there's also the weakness of, of the West. Um, Putin believes that he can do this right now, that he can take Ukraine with no consequences, that we're not going to do anything about it. The Western leaders will just do nothing. The scary thing about all that is that he might just be right. Why would Putin be afraid of Joe Biden? Okay, let's let's pause here for a message from our president. So the best way to get
2: something done, if you, if it holds near and dear to you that you uh, um, like to be able to, anyway, I'm, we're going to get a lot done. And if we have to, if there's complete lockdown and chaos as a consequence of the filibuster, then we'll have to go beyond what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, hang on. Uh... Sorry.
0: Oh. Seungmin, Miss Kim. You know, it's no wonder that our president is not intimidating to anyone. Um it's it's not just that his brain is gone. He hasn't left any geniuses in charge. You know, he's trying to make everything woke, trying to make everything ridiculous. And I don't think Biden, I don't think he cares about wokeness. I just think that he's too old and senile. To even care, so he lets the looniest people run his administration, including letting the looniest people run the military. Okay, listen to this ad. It's going to be two ads. Okay, the first one is from Russia, and then there's the right after that is going to be an ad from the U.S. Both of them are ads trying to get people to join the military. And as you go from the Russian ad to the United States ad, you're going to notice a bit of a tonal shift. All right. Besides the fact that the Russian one is in Russian, you're just going to notice not just a shift in the language, but a shift in the intensity and drama of the ad. Okay, so let me I'm going to play you the Russian ad. Let me tell you the words of the Russian ad because you won't understand them unless you speak Russian. The, The Russian ad says, without the enemy, there is no battle. Without battle, there is no victory. Your task is to hunt down the enemy, surpass him, become better than him and return the victor. Okay, so that's the Russian ad, that's the words of it. And then right after that, you're gonna hear the American ad, and you're gonna notice, like I said, you're gonna notice a bit of a shift in
1: tone. Знать себя, познать границы своих возможностей. К черту границы. Ты готов ломать себя до изнеможения. Каждый день. Здесь боль закаляет. Шрамы, повседневность. Это ты решил себе что-то доказать. Командир здесь только для того, чтобы ты мог увидеть в нем врага. Потому что без врага нет боя, а без боя нет победы. Но на самом деле, главный враг это ты. Вчерашний ты. Моя задача выследить врага, догнать его, превзойти, стать лучше, чем он, и вернуться назад победителем. Потому что завтра первый день твоей новой жизни. Although I had a fairly typical childhood, took ballet, played violin, I also marched for equality. I like to think I've been defending freedom from an early age. When I was 6 years old, One of my moms had an accident that left her paralyzed. Doctors said she might never walk again, but she tapped into my family's pride to get back on her feet, eventually standing at the altar to marry my other mom. With such powerful role models, I finished high school at the top of my class and then attended UC Davis, where I joined a sorority full of other strong women but as graduation approached, I began feeling like I'd been handed so much in life, a sorority girl stereotype. Sure, I'd spent my life around inspiring women, but what had I really achieved on my own? One of my sorority sisters was studying abroad in Italy. Another was climbing Mount Everest. I needed my own adventures, my own challenge. And after meeting with an army recruiter, I found it.
0: So, it's audio, but just to add some notes to that. The American ad, since you might not have seen it, it's a cartoon. Okay? <laughs> the American ad to get people to join the military and go fight bad guys, it's a cartoon. It's, it's, about, it's a cartoon about a girl and girl power and her gay moms. And she's like, it said she's been fighting for equality rights for her whole life. And it shows her like at a gay pride rally. You know, it's pathetic. And it's not just Americans who see that kind of ad. The world sees it. The world sees that stuff and they laugh at us and they conquer their next door neighbors while we are too weak to do anything. Okay? (laughs) Joe Biden. Joe Biden famously tweeted two years ago, this past week. Okay, he tweeted this on February 21st of 2020. Joe Biden tweets this. Vladimir Putin doesn't want me to be president. He doesn't want me to be our nominee. If you're wondering why, it's because I'm the only person in this field who's ever gone toe-to-toe with him.
2: Because Putin knows if I am president of the United States, his days of tyranny and trying to intimidate the United States and those in Eastern Europe are over. I'm going to stand up to him. He's a bully, just like the president. And I know he doesn't want me to be president, but to tell you what, when I'm president, things are going to change.
0: Okay, so that's what Joe Biden said. He's the only person who's ever gone toe-to-toe with Vladimir Putin, that Putin doesn't want Joe Biden to be president. He tweeted that on February 21st of 2020. Look at where we are two years later. Two years from there, Putin is doing whatever he wants because he thinks Biden is not doing nothing to stop it. And he might be right. Um, The world sees these ridiculous ways, that the ridiculous leader that we've elected who's too old to be intimidating to bad actors on the world stage. And they look at this and they... They see the wokeness of our military and they're like, well, America is no longer tough enough to be a threat. That's what they see when they look at us. Don't forget, Joe Biden invited Putin to try this back in January. He said in a press conference, he said America wouldn't do anything if Putin tried to invade Ukraine. As long as Putin did it slowly enough, he said that we won't lift a finger to do anything. Why tell Putin that? Like, that's what our president did back in January. And don't ever forget All this stuff kicked off because Biden said that in January and right away, Putin started getting ready for his invasion of Ukraine. You could look back and that was when he started getting ready right then. I know he's wanted to do it for a long time, but but Joe Biden signaled to him that this is the go ahead. You can go ahead and do it. Never forget that. I mean, for all the talk that Trump was a Russian stooge, you know, nothing like this happened on Trump's watch. Trump kept Putin out of Ukraine. Something Obama couldn't do. Something that Biden is not doing. Trump did. After we heard we heard four years of Russia, 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 Trump, Trump is making us a joke to the other countries. No one takes us seriously anymore. And now Trump is gone. And suddenly the world is not afraid of us anymore. They were when Trump was in office, but they're clearly not now. There's, that's not a theory, okay? That's not me saying what if. No, that's already happened. That's history. Russia left Ukraine alone when Trump was president. And Trump is gone now, and we've got this doddering old man as our president, and after a year of this, Putin has seen, oh, okay, there's nothing threatening about Joe Biden, and he's just rolling into Ukraine. Don't give me some theory about Trump and Russia and (laughs) and elections and all that. That's all irrelevant, because we don't need theories. We have the facts now. I don't care what you imagine in your head about Trump and Russia. Biden got into office. Day one that Biden was in office, he says, we're not drilling for American oil anymore. And then a few months later, he says, oh, but we're going to buy oil from Russia. And then he goes and invites Putin to try to take Ukraine. That is 100% on Joe Biden. You know, it's not just Joe Biden who's turning us into a joke. <laughs> Our climate czar, which is John Kerry, he went on TV to beg Putin not to forget the dangers of climate change whenever you go to invade another country. As the Washington Times reports, John Kerry urges Putin not to let the Ukraine invasion distract from combating climate change. That's a real headline. And it's not just him. Uh, Franz Timmermans, now he's the vice president of the European Green Deal. And he said Putin is invading Ukraine. He threatens Ukraine because... He wants to divert attention from the climate problem. <laughs> like that's what these people. That, that's why Putin's not not intimidated by Western nations. Okay, because this is what they just go back to, to climate and wokeness. And oh, here's another one. Putin's invasion is not just going to hurt the climate, guys. It's also racist. Everything is racist. Yeah, as as various people are saying. And one of these is Janet Forsyth on Twitter. She says, this isn't discussed much, but Putin benefits very much from white privilege. I just can't see a scenario in which a black or brown man running Russia would be allowed to invade Ukraine with no devastating consequences. White supremacy will destroy us. So guys, I just want you to know this act of a white man invading, colonizing another country full of white people. That is racism. okay? and as far as we're doing what's racist for the week, let's also mention uh, this is from the Times in the UK. Mount Everest is too white. That's literally the headline. Mount Everest is too white, black climbers claim. So sorry to sorry to tell you that Mount Everest is too white. Sorry to be the bearer of that news to you. Uh Washington Post said this is a little bit over a week ago in reference to the the situation going on with the freedom convoy up in Canada then the Washington Post you know their intellectuals over there um they weighed in on the situation they said the belief that one's entitlement to freedom it's a key component of white supremacy so guys freedom is racist the belief that one's entitlement to freedom they said it's a key component of white supremacy that's the washington post and then one more thing for you this week not saying music theory is racist is racist according to fox news a texas professor has sued has sued the university after being punished for saying that music theory isn't racist he said that music theory is not racist don't ask me what music theory is i don't even know But apparently it's racist or else you're going to get in trouble at your work. (laughs) So a Texas professor was punished because he said that music theory isn't racist. Um, Actually, there's one more thing I want to mention that's been declared racist this week. So let me just review. Russia invading Ukraine, a white country invading another white country. That's racist. Mount Everest is racist. Freedom is racist. Not saying music theory is racist is racist. And then one last thing that's been declared racist this week is geography. So Nicole Hannah-Jones, she's famously the author of the historical fiction known as the 1619 Project, which was published in The New York Times. She's now one of the chief editors over there at that publication. Um, She took to Twitter this week to lambast the concern of the invasion of Ukraine. Okay, if that didn't make sense, let me say that she was criticizing you. If you are concerned about the invasion of Ukraine, she said that you are concerned about the sovereign nation of Ukraine being invaded only because it's a racist dog whistle that tells us to only care about the citizens of Ukraine because they are white. OK, <laughs> that's what she tweeted out. You're deceived by a racist, racist dog whistle. It tells you to only care about Ukraine because the people there are white. Like us, which Nicole Hannah-Jones is black, but whatever. This will be our behind. I don't know. I don't know if I was going to do beyond the headline segment for this week. We'll do it on this. Okay, it's not a headline news story. It's a Twitter thread. But let's just pick this apart for a minute. So Nicole Hannah-Jones, she said, what if I told you that Europe is not a continent by definition? but a geopolitical fiction to separate it from Asia. And so the alarm about a European or civilized or first world nation being invaded is a dog whistle to tell us that we should care because they are like us. That was the that was her tweet. Okay, so Nicole Hannah jones what if I told you that starting a sentence with what if I told you that was just a way to make it sound like you were being profound when you're actually being an idiot? We've known that since 2016, thanks to memes. But she says, at the start there europe is not a continent by definition <laughs> all right well where is she getting her definition of of continent so people just skewered her on twitter over this it was a beautiful thing to see um she was given the the precise definition of a continent and she was ex- it was explained to her why europe fits the definition of continent based on that definition, and she still didn't back down. So it was pretty hilarious. (laughs) Someone told her the European continent is traditionally defined by its boundaries, the Bosphorus and Dardanelles in Turkey, the Ural Mountains in Russia, the uh, Gilbrader in Spain, and the Mediterranean slash Atlantic elsewhere. So someone gave her like the exact breakdown of why Europe is a continent based on the definition of a continent, That it's a landmass that's separated from other landmasses by certain boundaries. She didn't like it. She said, to be clear, we should care about Ukraine, but not because it is European or that the people appear white or that they are civilized and not impoverished. All people deserve to be free and to be welcomed when their countries are at war. So that was her comeback is to just say, well, we should all be concerned about Ukraine, just not because they're white. Well, you know, I would agree. Duh. If you only cared about Ukraine because the people are white, then that would be racist. And I agree that we should all care about Ukraine and and what is happening there and that all people deserve to be free. So why does she complain before? Why did she complain in the first place? Why does she assume that the only reason that we care about them is because they are white? Well, the reason she assumes that is because she has a critical race theory worldview that ascribes racist and evil intentions to just everything that people do. Okay, it's the first thing that people like her jump to. So when she hears that Ukraine is being invaded and that people think it's bad, she just wants to be the first one to stand up and say, you only care about them because they're white. Other than that, I agree that it's bad. (laughs) This is what critical race theory does. It tries to create division in a situation where it's actually really easy to be united. So when leftists like Nicole Hannah-Jones, when they call something a dog whistle They are actually saying when they say that, you know, they say that it's a code that only certain people can hear. Only racist people, according to her, can hear this racist dog whistle. The truth is, whenever anyone says the phrase dog whistle, it is a code, but it's a code for someone communicating that they can't prove what they're saying. They're just going to pretend that it's a secret code (laughs) that not everybody can hear. You see, Nicole Hannah-Jones, you got to remember, only dogs can hear a dog whistle. And that explains why I don't see race in the coverage of Ukraine. Because what do you call someone who can hear the message that only racists can hear? Well, if only racists can hear it and you hear it, wouldn't that make you the racist? That's what I would call someone. And she says it's racist to care about Europe because Europe is not really a continent. But I find it hard to take her opinion on that seriously since the the New York Times is not a real newspaper. And Nicole Hannah-Jones is not a real journalist. Well, thanks for listening to Fake News, a fiery but mostly peaceful podcast. This has been Luke Taylor reminding you, if you hear anything about what's going on in Ukraine, by people who are not in Ukraine, don't believe it because we are still in the fog of war. And it's probably just fake news.